0: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. There is an unlikely uh, pastor and theologian that I've taken an interest in recently. And I say unlikely because this person has a lot of tattoos on first appearance, but you see... Or sleeves of tattoos. Um, this person often swears and makes no bones about it, although never swears in the pulpit, but still. Um, and is a former stand-up comedian, uh, which you know you might have certain thoughts about that. And this person is in recovery from alcohol addiction and uh, is very clear about drugs that, that they've taken. Uh, but especially alcohol is in a recovery for that. And this person is a female, uh, which just adds a whole new spin on that image and the first impression that people get of her. Uh, and as a result, she's, she's kind of controversial based on some things that she says, but often what I see is a, a controversy over the, the image, the identity really. Uh, and Many people write her off upon first impression. I admit that I did. I had certain thoughts when I first saw her photo and have come to understand her a little better. And I repent of that. Um, but the thing about her is that she gets humanity. She really understands human nature and the human predicament. I mean, being a former stand-up comedian uh, probably has a lot to do with that. If you're a funny comedian, usually you have a very perceptive, at least implicitly understanding of human nature. It might not be a Christian perspective, but you kind of get people. Um, and, you know, being in recovery helps a lot uh, for understanding human nature. And from what I can tell, she has a, a pretty sound uh, theology, there are some things that I disagree with, and I disagree with most people on a few things. Um, but part of the, the theology has a lot to do with this perceptive understanding of human nature, um, which she understands personally, and God's answer uh, for that in Jesus Christ. And so as a result, fellow fringe types, or you might say bohemian or, or hipster or whatever, you know, fill in the blank. These people are clamoring to her church to hear the gospel,
1: to hear some good news, not just good
0: news, but someone who not only understands the good news, but understands people and where they are and what that good news means for them. And so it's no surprise that so many people who are on the fringes, quote unquote, are clamoring to her church. And I tell this story about this pastor because I think it's related to the story of the Magi that we read This morning. And here are just some of my observations about that passage. First, God manifests himself to strange Gentiles, foreigners, outsiders, who also recognize the star and they travel very far to worship this newborn king of the Jews. And when they arrived to Jerusalem, the the political and religious leaders of the Jews are greatly troubled. Herod is troubled because he's the king. You know, how can there be another king? And all of Jerusalem, probably meant all the leadership, were greatly troubled with him. Troubled probably by their impressions of these strange men and and the, the message that they bring about this newborn king. And the Jewish leadership, by the way, don't even make the... I looked it up on Google Maps... It's five and a half miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. The the political leadership, the religious leadership of the Jews don't even make this short five and a half mile journey to Bethlehem when these strange foreigners traveled from so far away. And Bethlehem apparently at the time was not highly regarded. And that's probably why they didn't want to make that short trip. And then finally, Herod goes in secret to the Gentile Magi for some answers versus the Jewish leadership. He realizes that they have the real answer. Um, And while Jerusalem was greatly troubled, these strange foreigners, when they finally make it to Bethlehem, rejoice and fall down on their faces in the dirt and worship this new king and bring him very expensive and extravagant gifts. What can this story say to us today? What can it mean for us? Well, Let me just tell you a, a personal story uh, of some of a time when I was a stranger and how people reacted uh, to me. Uh, when I first went to Yale Divinity School for seminary, I was regarded as something of a fundamentalist, which is kind of funny because no fundamentalist, first of all, would go to Yale Divinity School. <laughs> But, but in respect to, to Yale, I was regarded as a fundamentalist just based on the way I talked uh, about God and Jesus Christ and that I took a lot of things like, at face value with the scriptures. And so when I first got there, I went to this barbecue uh, for, for new students. And when you, when you first arrive, people always ask you, what diocese are you from? What diocese are you from? And it's a big identity thing. Um, and so someone asked me, what diocese are you from? And I said, South Carolina. And I kid you not he just literally turned his back on me and walked away. <laughs> uh, because of certain associations that he had with uh, people who come through an ordination process in South Carolina. And another student, uh, I heard through the grapevine, regarded me as a worthy opponent. I kept thinking, why is this guy always... Uh, Every time I speak up in class, he always negates what I say. It feels like it has less to do with about the content of my message and more to do with the messenger. Someone told me, you have to understand that he actually, I've heard him say, he regards you as a worthy opponent. You're his nemesis. And yet, by my third year there, and even now to this day, I'm friends with a lot of these same people. Um, some of them actually call me up And seek out my wisdom about, about things the, the guy who turned his back on me at the barbecue He likes a lot of things that I put on Facebook <laughs> and comments uh, So we're cool now, we're okay uh, But at first, you know, I had a certain impression About me, uh, a strange person Can anything good come from South Carolina? You know, Nathaniel asked that to Philip. Can anything good come from Nazareth? When Jesus Christ first came on the scene in his ministry, Nathaniel asked Philip, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Well, I also asked, Can anything good come from some hillbilly fishermen? And yet, those were the first disciples that Jesus called. Or you might ask, Can anything good come from a tax collector? And yet he called Matthew and spent some time with Zacchaeus when no one else would want to. Can anything come, uh, good come from women? Which at the time would have been a question that they asked. And yet in his entourage there was Mary, Mary and Martha. Can anything good come from children? And this was the man who said you know, let the children come to me. Don't keep them away. Or you might ask, can anything good come from fill in the blank? Can anything good come from Yale Divinity School? Can anything good come from South Carolina? Can anything good come from the Advent? You know, some people do ask that question around here. Can anything good come from the Cathedral Church of the Advent? Can anything good come from the East? So what can this story of the Magi mean for you? You, oh dear person in the pew. Are you uh, a very pious, uh, self-satisfied religious type? Are you um, self-righteous about your religion and theology and think that you have all the answers and that your piety has no holes in it and that your churchmanship is the appropriate one? Or are you the unlikely candidate? according to these same religious leaders, you know, based on maybe how you look, or maybe you just feel like you don't read the Bible enough, uh, or at all, or you'd like to pray more. Uh, Maybe you don't even know about your faith. It's kind of iffy. Maybe you've got something in your past that you're guilty about uh, and just can't get over and think that God couldn't forgive you of that thing. And maybe it's something else, but something that makes you the unlikely candidate. There was a a 19th century humorist who said something about newspapers that I think have a lot to do with this story of the Magi and what I'm talking about this morning. He said, newspapers comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Comfort the afflicted and yet afflict the comfortable. And so should this tale of the wise men from the East comfort the afflicted, the outsider, the stranger, the unlikely candidate, and yet afflict those who are comfortable with where they are and their religion. And this wasn't just any small child that the Magi came to visit, or any, just any new king. He's the king who came through humility, through Bethlehem, and not Jerusalem. That was the place where the Magi expected to find him, because that was the seat of power. And yet, he was in not just the suburbs, but in some strange rural town. And this is the king who would live as one of us, as an outcast himself, as a Regarded as a fringe member of society, a ragamuffin among fellow ragamuffins, he's the king who would die for the whole world. And not just the ragamuffins, but also those self satisfied religious types. For all of us. For me, and sometimes I feel like I'm an unlikely candidate. To talk to you this morning, I feel like I'm not worthy. To have people listening to this on the radio. And yet, I know that he came and was born to live amongst fellow fringe types now outcasts and ragamuffins for me and for you, no matter where you are, for the whole world. Amen. <laughs>